1: It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting and I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio. So use promo code Jason T and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states, FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit fanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1 800 NextStep or text NextStep to 53342 in Arizona. Dial 1 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org/chat in Connecticut. Dial 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Dial 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Dial 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit www m-a-h-e-l-p-l-i-n-e.org slash problem gambling. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial one 8 hope ny or text HOPE-NY to four six seven three six nine in New York. Dial one 522 4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. We are live on AMP. Don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube or listening on our podcast feed, that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We have an extremely special guest today. A good friend of mine, Mr. Sam Vecini from The Athletic, is going to be joining us to talk about the top tier of contenders in the league. The teams that we both think have real chances to win the title. And then we're going to do a little dive. Into the MVP discussion, the dreaded MVP discussion. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. Under hoops tonight, and last but not least, before we get started, you guys have heard me talk about Game Time, the fastest-growing ticketing app in the United States. If you're looking to get out to any NBA games, NHL games, college basketball games, baseball games, concerts, or comedy shows, Game Time has amazing last-minute deals on tickets to all of these. So, if you're trying to get out to an uh, to an NBA playoff game, Game Time's got you covered. If you're trying to go see one of the later rounds of the NCAA tournament, Game Time has you covered. Or if you're just a huge Taylor Swift fan and you got to get out to see T Swift Game Time has got you covered. They have excellent, uh, a, an excellent user experience. You're going to find a good deal. You're going to know exactly where your seat is. I want you guys to check it out. So no matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the Game Time app. Enter your email and redeem code Hoops for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, enter your email and code Hoops. That's H O O P S for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. Guarantee. All right, let's talk some basketball. So I'm I'm extremely excited to be bringing on senior NBA writer at the Athletic, host of the Game Theory podcast, where I have been very blessed to appear as a guest a couple of times. Someone who's one of my very favorite people in the world to talk basketball with, Mr. Sam Vecini. Sam, how are you doing, man?
2: Well, Jason, that's so nice because I feel the exact same way about you, (laughs) and I'm so excited to do this. Genuinely, there are very few things that I feel less excited to talk about than this MVP discourse, but doing it with you, I feel like will be less frustrating than the general discourse that we see online. So I'm excited to do it.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. I'm excited to dig into your process a little bit. I've I've got a little bit of a system that I've been using. This will be the fourth year that I've used this system. And I'm really curious just to see your general approach to it. And then you and I have had an interesting conversation in the past about the role of advanced metrics in these discussions too, that I want to get into, but I did want to start just kind of, it kind of feels like we are the, that the, the league in general is starting to kind of settle into what it's um, going to look like here. As we head into the postseason. your playing teams are kind of looking like the playing teams and your top six are kind of looking like the top six. The only seed that I don't think is a hundred percent set is that sixth, uh, sixth seed in the Western conference, just some of the uncertainty surrounding Golden State with their lack of wing depth. But what I wanted to do today is just kind of take a break and zoom out a little bit and talk a little bit about championship contenders. So I've used tiers in the past where I include teams that have like super long shot chances. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to get your opinion on on a list of teams that you think have a real chance to win a title. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you mine. And if there's anybody on that list that you disagree with, I want you to tell me. And if there's anybody that's not on that list that you'd like to add, I'd like you to make that case. So the teams that I think have a real chance to win a championship right now out East are just Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly. Is there anybody in that list that you would add or remove?
2: So are we talking like super long shots or are we talking just like, like the Cavs have the number one net rating in the NBA right now? Like, I am concerned. I don't think they are nearly on the level of the top three that you just said. I do think that they cause real problems for Philadelphia in a potential playoff series. Because if we look at the teams that have beaten Philadelphia previously in playoff series, you look at the Atlanta Hawks specifically, it's the teams that can really kill you uh, when you're playing drop coverage with Joel Embiid. Mm -hmm. And... Both Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell have the capability to do that. Now, do I think the Cavs have a great matchup against Boston or Milwaukee? I do not. But they are number one in net rating. They have a better record than I think all but one team in the Western Conference. I at least will throw them in as a 2 or 3% chance.
1: That's super interesting. So I've, I know Cavs fans feel this way. And there's really two things for me that are the determining factor for me leaving them off that list. Uh, First of all, I do believe that having two small guards in your backcourt, even though I think both Mitchell and Garland have defended better than we could have anticipated this year, I do want to give them that amount of credit. But as we know, the personnel shortcomings kind of supersede how you participate schematically when you get onto that that stage. So I worry a little bit about their entry points in the backcourt. And then teams are really starting to sell out on the Mitchell Garland pick and roll, ignoring their off ball shooting. It's been it's been just a smorgasbord of like, let's try Chetty Osmond for a little while. Okay, well, Lamar Stevens is making some shots. Let's go with him for a little while. And and so when I really think about the way teams are going to ignore Evan Mobley and whoever it is that gets that three spot. Off ball And Karis LeVert obviously gives you a better offensive option there, but he's not the same level of defensive player as Isaac Okoro or Lamar Stevens, who they've been using as primary point of attack guys in a lot of cases. So, like, I just worry about them being the textbook type of team that will struggle in the playoffs as teams really exaggerate attacking their weaknesses. So is there anything that I said there that you would disagree with?
2: No, I will say they, they have the number one defense in the NBA right now. I think hmm. their defense is less built toward being a great playoff team in many of the same ways that you just discussed the guy that I can't figure out why they don't play is Dean Wade. Uh, Dean Wade gives them that shooting and that length defensively that I think is actually what they need, but they are not playing him. And I don't know that we can consider that a real potential outcome here. And that's not injury
1: related anymore.
2: I don't think so. He's not on their injury report. So like you look through like the injury report, it says Jared Allen doesn't say no Evan Mobley or uh doesn't say Dean Wade right now so who knows but I yeah look I agree with everything you're saying it's just that they have the number one defense in the league they have figured out a way to work around the guards I do think their defense will be diminished in the playoffs because of those mismatch problems I think Donovan has been very good defensively in his willingness to fight but realistically I think we're probably spending too much time on the Cavs
1: (laughs) well Cavs fans uh Sam believes in you guys so that 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 probably means even more than anything i have to say so take that for a two percent chance (laughs) (laughs) so out west and i know this is going to ruffle some feathers in sacramento and memphis um but i only have five teams the denver nuggets the phoenix suns the golden state warriors who i'm tempted to remove and then the los angeles lakers and the los angeles clippers is there any part of that list that you would disagree with
2: i don't know that I would have anybody but the Suns and maybe the Nuggets and Lakers on that list and I think the Clippers offense is unfortunately just been too stagnant I think it's a little bit too easy to really muck them up just by playing tough man-to-man defense if you have on-ball defenders that can make life harder for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard you're never going to stop them but if you can make them five percent less efficient it's really, really hard for their offense. The Warriors, I mean, it's just hard to know without Andrew Wiggins right now. I don't think they can win a title without Andrew Wiggins, given what we've seen. This oh, I think we profile. can. I think we can
1: say that definitively. You know, yeah,
2: yeah uh, this is not a profile of a team that has been successful in the playoffs previously. And without Andrew Wiggins, it's just going to be, I think, way too difficult for them to find the consistent offense and defense. That's what Wiggins brings. He brings them the two way play that they need on the wing that, you know, clay Thompson as good as clay is still even coming back from the multiple injuries. He's not always a two way player at this point in his career because of the injuries. So I need, I think they need that on ball potential stopper in Wiggins. I think they need the offense that he provides as well, potentially in second units. I really think it's going to be tough without Wiggins for the Warriors.
1: Yeah. It's funny. Cause with, with golden state, I'm in a similar position. I, they, they can hardly contend with good teams without Andrew Wiggins and Gary Payton. It's just, they were already close to the line of minimum allowable athleticism and height on the perimeter to contend when they were healthy last year, they overcame that just because they were so good everywhere else. Uh, yep. But without those two, they dip below that line to that point of no return. The other thing, I'm glad you mentioned the Clippers piece because I, I, I view it a weird kind of offensive approach with them too. But another thing that I've really noticed, especially in the last couple of months, is their lack of rim protection. Yeah, And I know that you think of Zubak as the kind of guy who could do that at a decent level, and Plumlee's fine. Um, but their numbers in protecting the paint have been atrocious over the course of the last month. And everything about NBA history tells us you need an elite defensive front court to win an NBA championship. And part of me wants to go Kawhi and Paul George. Doesn't that kind of somewhat make up for that? But they just haven't been able to protect the paint. So that's been a big, a big reason that I've been somewhat on the fence with them. Are you, would you include Memphis and Sacramento in this equation? Or do you agree with me that they're, that they don't have a chance?
2: I would not at this point include them. Uh, Sacramento, I just think it's way too hard for them to defend. Uh, Mm. I I think the teams are going to be able to take advantage of them defensively. All due respect, I love the Kings. I love what they've done this season. I just don't see an NBA title level defense whenever they're going to be playing. For instance, potentially Phoenix. If Phoenix is full strength, I don't see how that's like not a four or five game series. Maybe Mm. the Kings get hot. Uh, Memphis is harder. Memphis is... Memphis is tricky just because of the John Morant issue that's hanging over all of this. What does he look like when he comes back? Is he the same Uber confident attack oriented John Morant every single game in game out? We're recording this before he has actually returned at this point. My read is I think they have real deficiencies even with John Morant because Ja is their lead scorer. He is their key offensive option. He is not really a threat that teams are all that worried about behind the three-point line as a pull-up threat. And he is not really all that big of a threat that teams worry about in the mid-range area if you stop him from getting to that little floater that he has. I think because of that, it's a little bit easier to drop coverage them. And I think teams that can drop are going to have an easier time with them kind of managing their offensive uh, game plans. And then defensively, Ja is a real guy that they have to work around on that end. Uh, you know, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, those guys fight. But if you have to have Dylan Brooks out there, you're losing something offensively in terms of efficiency as well. So I, as much as I love Memphis, I love the project. I love what that front office has done to accumulate this group of talent. I think they're a year away at this point.
1: Yeah, it's super interesting because Memphis crosses a couple of specific boxes that I value a great deal. I think their interior defense is outrageously good. Did you see that stat from the Warriors game the other day that they held them to 22 for 48 shooting in the paint?
0: <laughs> ridiculous. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. unbelievable.
1: Uh, Jaron Jackson, every month that I watch him, looks one step closer to becoming you know, the next kind of Anthony Davis level two-way power forward defensive prospect that we have in this league. And I I love that about them as a foundational piece as a championship contender. I think the Dylan Brooks thing, and I hate that guy (laughs) because I think think he's, I think he ever, I I was out on him before he shoved the cameraman and that was kind of like the last thing. But the reality is, is like, I also think he's, I think he's got a case to be considered the best perimeter defender in basketball right now.
2: He's he okay. putting
1: he's putting together a body count this year of stars like and like even in that Kyrie game. I think he was 11 for 25. Like I think he did a number on Steph in those two games. He and look, I'm not I need I need larger sample size. I need to see more versatility to put him <laughs> into that equation. Like I think what Andrew Wiggins did to Luca and to Jason Tatum in the last two rounds of the playoffs is a more impressive case. And I would need to see something yeah. better than that on a playoff stage. But like. I don't think it's a coincidence that every star that runs into Dylan Brooks this year is having like the nightmarishly bad games. Like that that to me is real. But outside of those two things, I think their offensive creation from the standpoint of dribble creation from the perimeter and their play finishing. Off ball, like there, I think I think I looked it up the other day. They're a bottom five spot up team in the league by points per possession, yeah. which is ridiculous. I think even Cleveland, who we talked about earlier as a team that was uh, really ill equipped in that zone, was 18th, so significantly higher up. They're less than a point for less than a point per possession on spot up uh, situations. So I just don't think they have nearly enough offensive skill uh, to make their defense to make their defense weaponizable in a way that can win a championship. You, you and I actually, in our two shows that we've done together, we've never actually talked to Lakers. So I,
2: how did that happen?
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. But like, so here's the thing. I, if LeBron James can come back and get help, yeah. I am going to be so tempted to pick them to come out of the West. When I think about the combination of Rock fight winning, just huge front court players and LeBron James and Anthony. Like, can you imagine the two of them battling with Harrison Barnes and Damana Sabonis for seven games? (laughs) Like, like, I I think, I think about the front court mismatches that they present. I think about the, the matchup versatility with a guy like Nikola Jokic. I think about the uh the influx of offensive skill, which isn't they're not the most offensively skilled team in the world, but they've added a significant amount of it. The ability to weaponize uh guys like Jared Vanderbilt in uh, high, high pressure perimeter assignments that he can uh that he can do. And I actually think that they've overachieved a little bit in this recent stretch because so many elements of their starting lineup don't make as much sense without LeBron. Like Vanderbilt's actually struggled for them quite a bit, I think, in large part because without lebron out there to kind of weaponize him as a cutter off the ball his lack of uh, his inability to shoot has been a problem but i just think when i look at the western conference a healthy lakers team i think has a higher two-way ceiling than everyone else do you think i'm too high on them or do you feel a similar way
2: i don't think they have a higher two-way ceiling than phoenix i think they're probably number two okay and The reason I say that, look, they're 16 to one right now to win the West. Like that's a crazy number to me. I I have (laughs) no idea how that's a real thing. Uh, This team, I'm glad you brought up the Vanderbilt piece of it because he is a critical piece for them. He only works if LeBron is out there because if he, if Vanderbilt is out there, he is taking something off the court in terms of your creation ability and in terms of your offense. He's a great, you know, rim runner. He is a great offensive rebounding threat. He is someone that will attack the glass and will attack you at the point of attack defensively and will rebound and be an incredible help defender across the board. He's a really valuable piece for them. I just also think that they really need him on the court because LeBron James, getting a little bit older, I think he'll lock in defensively in the playoffs, but he is someone that needs the possessions off. You need someone to be able to guard the opposing players' primary uh or the opposing team's primary offensive weapon, night in, night out. The other piece of this is, what is going to, what is going to, what is D'Angelo Russell going to look like with LeBron James? I think it's going to look really good consistently. I I think that part of what D'Angelo Russell has struggled with previously in his career is when he has to like manage that. Okay. I'm the point guard. I need to get everybody involved. I need to be the key distributor for the team versus just going out there and playing. When he's had the ability to just go out there and play like he did earlier this season with Minnesota for that month leading up to the trade where they used Kyle Anderson to initiate sets. They used uh, Anthony Edwards to be able to initiate sets from time to time. He was just able to go out there and play and go. And it was the best stretch of his career that we've seen since he played with Brooklyn, which, oh, by the way, in Brooklyn, he played with Spencer Dinwiddie, another guy that could share the load from a creativity perspective. So when I look at, what D'Angelo Russell is going to look like with LeBron James, who will be able to handle that distribution load in a really tangible way. I think D'Angelo is going to be able to go out there and play and it's going to look really, really good.
1: Yeah. Him off ball is where I've been most impressed with him with the Lakers. He's got a lightning quick release on the catch and he doesn't have to jump very high. Um, there was a specific play. I want to say it was against the Raptors where Austin they ran like a quick interchange with Austin Reeves coming off of a ball screen with Anthony Davis and he made a little pitch and OG Ananobi made an excellent closeout. And, but D'Lo just caught it and just fluidly just went right up into his shot without <laughs> even getting much of a jump and he knocked yeah. it down. And like I the, one of the big reasons why I'm enthusiastic about this particular fit is this they do not need MVP two way LeBron. Like, yeah, like they don't, they, they, their pick and roll shot creation has actually been kind of excellent. I mean, I, I got to a, a friendly discussion with Sam the other day because I was trying to tell him that I think Austin Reeves is just as good as Bogdan McDonovich, <laughs> and that uh, he had like a pretty big, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, he, like he might be better right now. He, he might be, <laughs> but like he, I like they're, they're weirdly deep. Um, like Troy Brown jr is an interesting kind of perimeter defensive weapon that will slot back to the bench when LeBron James comes back. And I mean, obviously the center position is a little bit of an issue. They're looking at it right now where LeBron's going to have to have to be their backup center in the playoffs. I don't necessarily think that's an issue. It's just a lot to ask from LeBron, uh, but they don't need him to run 20 pick and rolls a game and to post up 20 times a game. He can actually kind of functionally fit into this as a cog because of how many good pick and roll ball handlers they have. And I think LeBron in his career, I think a lot of times people look at him as a heliocentric guy. And don't don't get me wrong, he can play that style. But I think LeBron's a lot more of a plug and play player than people give him credit for. I think that he knows how to move without the basketball. He can be a guy who can screen and roll to the basket. Like there was a random game last year where he just gave Stanley Johnson the ball and was like, here, I'll be the screen setter. You run our offense down the stretch. And it like worked, and they beat Gobert and the jazz. Like LeBron is actually sneaky, kind of super versatile and can plug in all these holes. And when I think about the weaknesses in the team that I've watched play since the deadline almost all of them are fixed by LeBron. A guy who can beat good perimeter defensive teams by drawing double teams in the post, okay, that's LeBron. A guy that can help with contested rebound situations and give you basically a better option at the power forward spot in offensive situations where Vanderbilt's not working, maybe at the end of a game, that's kind of your guy. Like I think he fits so many specific weaknesses. And again, in a Western conference where no one looks great, I think that they make sense as like a threat to me. But obviously so much is up in the air. And I mean, the Nuggets, I I do think that it's a bit of an excuse to just blame everything on a lack of urgency. But at the same time, like that's certainly part of it, you know? I think it's a big
2: part of it. I do Mm -hmm. like, look, they're playing drop coverage right now, which is not what they will do in the playoffs. Like I Mm -hmm. can almost guarantee that. And it feels like they're doing it to keep Nikola Jokic fresh to me Mm -hmm. as much as anything, because, you know, having to go out, play flat, play at the level of the screen every single time, and then recover back to your man. It does take a toll. It takes a toll on your body on a somewhat real level, having to do it Mm -hmm. night after night, possession after possession. Drop coverage is a little bit more stationary, which I think does help Jokic, but at the end of the day, I don't know if I trust them in either defensive structure. So <laughs> that's a real problem uh, with the like. Honestly, like I would pick the Lakers if they have a healthy LeBron in a series against the Nuggets because I think that they cause a lot of problems with the their defensive ability against the Nuggets. You can throw Anthony Davis onto Nikola Jokic. And then what's Aaron Gordon on LeBron? And I think that that's just not going to go all that well for Aaron Gordon because Aaron Gordon, as good as he is and as close to being an all-star as he was, I I think that he's a little bit better having uh, being able to help help Jokic whenever he's in those tough defensive matchups against Anthony Davis. He's a good on-ball defender. He's a better help defender, in my opinion. Uh, Yeah, looking at this Lakers roster, their best five is what? A very real Austin Reeves, it seems like, who looks awesome right now, looks confident. I've never seen that dude get flustered in his life. It's probably D'Angelo Russell, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. And then when you have those four, you can kind of put out anyone at that point, right? You can Mm -hmm. put out. Rui, if you want some, like, physicality and shot making. You can put out Jared Vanderbilt if you want point of attack and rebounding. You can put out uh, Malik Beasley if you want even more floor spacing to attack, right? I don't know.
1: I think this is a I really, I think you'll really... see some Troy Brown Jr. there, too. Like, I, yeah. I he's he's definitely got Coach Ham's trust, and he's kind of, to me, like, the bridge between uh, Jared and Rui, where he's got some of that point of, point of attack capability that Jared Vanderbilt has, but has that, like... L- Troy's, like, legit on the wings a pretty reliable three-point shooter yeah. uh, over the course of the last couple months too so I think you'll see some stuff there um we're gonna move on to MVP but it sounds to me like your list is Bucks Celtic Sixers Cavs Nuggets Suns Warriors Lakers so it, you're basically swapping out the Clippers for the Cavs it seems to me is your list
2: that's kind of it yeah yeah okay that's basically- right
1: on we're pretty close. I like that. All right. So <laughs> I, think,
2: I think we would have it ordered differently. Like, I think I would have the Suns at like number number three or four right now.
1: But yeah. I'm terrified of the Suns, Sam. <laughs> so am I I, but- <laughs> I, I. I think they need to lose early. The later they get into the playoffs, the more I'm going to be freaked out by their continuity. And I can pretty safely tell you right now that I'm probably going to pick them as my preseason title favorite next year. I'm terrified yeah. of them. I'm terrified of KD. I think Devin Booker is just, like, taller, more dependable Kyrie Irving. <laughs> you know, like, uh, Chris Paul is the one kind of weird piece, and we'll see how he fits in all of that. DeAndre Eaton has no choice but to buy back in just because of the stakes of it all. And then this summer, they're going to be able to uh, to boost all of that uh, perimeter defense weakness that they have. Um, so, what I would like to do for this MVP piece is I'd like to quickly just rip off some stats, uh, just some basic surface-level stuff. But well, I, I doubt we'll spend too much time there just because I think you and I both like to discuss it more from a basketball perspective, which is a big part of why I wanted to have this conversation with you. And I do want to hear, like, your reasoning and the way that you go about this. So, in games played, uh, Jokic is in first place, 64. Embiid, 58. Giannis, 56. But... In the games that Jokic has played, 45 and 19, that's a 70% win percentage. Embiid, 39 and 19, that's a 67% win percentage. Giannis, 42 and 14, a 75% win percentage. Points per game, Embiid 34, Giannis 31, Jokic 25. Rebounds, Giannis and Jokic tied at 12, Embiid with 10. Assists, Jokic with 10. Uh, Giannis with six, although he's been uh, getting a lot more assists lately. Uh, Embiid 4.1 efficiency, Jokic 70% true shooting, Embiid 65% true shooting, Giannis 60% true shooting. On off stats, uh, the Nuggets are 27 points better with Jokic than without him. Uh, Embiid uh, 10 points, Giannis seven points. One wrinkle there, though, the Nuggets <laughs> starters have only played two additional games together, uh, compared to, um, that uh, Giannis lineup, but they've played 140 more minutes together. Or to, excuse me, that's compared to the Embiid lineup. So what that tells me is they're just keep they're not staggering nearly as much. They're keeping their starters together. Um, yeah. So and my, and, uh, let, me, let me
2: also add to that: uh, the Nuggets' backup center position this year has been a revolving door of train wreck. <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it. And but I thought know, the Lakers there's...
1: made a huge mistake giving up Thomas Bryant. What was everybody thinking? <laughs>
2: I think the Nuggets made a huge mistake, you know, giving up three second rounders to acquire Thomas Bryant instead of getting better defensive wing help. So, yeah, no, I, uh, I just want to note for the record that the DeAndre Jordan-Bones-Highland pick-and-roll defensive combination was a train wreck. Uh, Zeke Nagy is not ready for this, and Thomas Bryant has not been good enough.
1: Well, it's, and Thomas Bryant's interesting. He's so hot and cold. There are days where he has it going offensively and he's great. It's just, it's just too inconsistent. Um, yeah. So what I'd like to do, cause there's a bunch of different elements we can get into, but what I'd like to start with is just what your like, if if you were like, if you had an MVP vote, you had to turn it in a week from today, what would your process look like?
2: So my my process is a little bit simpler than what I think, other people's is, you know, some people look at it as who is the most valuable player to their team? Who is the guy bringing, you know, if, if you took this guy off the team, what would that look like? I kind of look at it as who is the best player in the league that I try to keep it as simple as possible. Who do I think is providing the most value to their team in the NBA? That's a different version of value than what I think other voters look at it. And I don't really have a problem with other voters looking at it in terms of like, oh, like if you take this person off the team, X, Y, and Z happens, right? I just look at it as who is bringing the most value to a basketball court night in, night out, every single game. That is such a simplistic process, I would imagine, in comparison to what many other voters have, and I'm not a voter, so I shouldn't say many other voters, what voters across the league seem to have like pretzeled themselves into it feels like when I talk to people about this, it just, I don't know. And like, here's the question I would ask you, do you consider the idea of the regular season and the playoffs being different? They are different beasts in terms of the way basketball is played in those moments. Are you purely someone that looks at this from a 2022, 2023 season? That's all that matters point blank. Or do you consider the fact that we've seen these guys play in the biggest moments before? This is something that matters. Like, this is an input that matters in these conversations about who the best dude in the league is.
1: So I love your approach because I this, to me, simplicity opens the door for discretion. And to me, the game of basketball is way too complicated for, and we get into this in a little bit with advanced metrics, but it's way too complicated for any measure for any stat for even just wins and losses. Like we could talk about supporting cast. We could talk about all these different things, but at the end of the day, they are so all three of the guys that I consider here, in the top tier, which I'm sure you have the same top three, which is Giannis, Jokic and Embiid. All three of these guys have completely different ways that they impact basketball games. Like it could not be any further, uh, from each other, even though they play similar positions. And so, from that standpoint, I think that keeping it vague allows you to kind of approach the conversation from a, a bunch of different perspectives. And as far as the playoffs, like I think you have to factor that into a certain extent. And I understand the idea of, um, you know, it being a regular season award. And I appreciate that. And when I go over my system, it'll make some sense to you. We're going to get yelled in. at. <laughs> We're going to get
2: yelled at by the people. I know.
1: I know, but like, here's the thing. Why do we do this, Sam? Why do we play the 82 games? We do it as part of a journey that ends in the Larry O'Brien trophy. You can pretend like that doesn't matter, but it does. And yes, it is like two different seasons. Yes, it's the 82 and then we head into this two month playoff thing and the basketball gets very different. And I I absolutely uh, understand all of that. But at the end of the day, it's all the same journey from training camp to the Larry O'Brien trophy. And so not factoring in the fact that playoff success or or at least the way that your game translates to the postseason as if that doesn't matter at all in this discussion, I think is silly. And so the way I account for that is I have your criteria as one of three parts so i have who is the best player in the league as one of the three parts then i have who is the best player on the best team this is where we bring in team success within this regular season and then the third faction of this is who is most valuable to their team that's where i'm looking at like the way that team operates and when you remove that player from the equation the way things change and so for me it like it it, if, if i were to ask you to rank those three as who is the best basketball player how would you rank them
2: Giannis one, Embiid two,
1: Jokic three. I had the exact same list. And I had to flip Embiid and Jokic just over these last couple of months. I I just, the run that Embiid has been on has, he's been a better basketball player than Jokic now for a little while. And and there's no playoff leeway to throw Jokic to be like, he deserves the benefit of the doubt, which I'm usually a big fan of. But I view their playoffs uh, resumes as pretty similar. Like I think they've each won four series if I remember correctly. So neither of them has this earth shattering playoff resume. So to me, That's a pretty straightforward list. Who would you say is the best player on the best team in the league?
2: Uh, I think it would be Giannis, Embiid, and Jokic at this point, just given the records.
1: Yeah. So I put Giannis one, Jokic two, uh, based on that win percentage piece. Like Embiid's only won 67% of the games he's played in. And I think he actually has a better, I actually think he has a better supporting cast. Let's do that next, actually. Who do you think has the best supporting cast out of that group if you were ranking them?
2: I would say Embiid has the best supporting cast. Uh, you're playing with James Harden, and then you have a loaded, deep team with Tobias Harris, who's had a really underrated season this year. Uh, you have Tyrese Maxey, who's averaging 20 points a game. I, I think it's like unequivocally Joel Embiid has the best. And then I think you can parse between the Bucks and the Nuggets. I would say that the Nuggets have probably had a better supporting cast around Jokic this season. Just given that Chris Middleton has missed a lot of time, has been coming back from injury. Now, Brooke Lopez and Drew Holiday have been probably better than anybody on the Nuggets, right? I think so. so. I don't know. Maybe it is Jokic at three in this conversation, the more I think about it. But Jokic has the four guys around him that are absolutely terrific. I would say that Giannis has had two guys that have just been like absolutely terrific like if I was ranking the eight players that have started the most games with Giannis and with Jokic I would have Drew Holiday and Brooke Lopez one and two I would have the Nuggets guys in the next four spots and then I would have the Bucks guys in the last two spots how do you parse through that I think that you can make different determinations
1: that's what's so interesting because so I had Bucks one and Sixers too. Although I agree like the Sixers offensive talent is like through the roof. Uh, did Ridiculous. you know that they're the, they're the best spot up team in the league. They, they yep. constantly have shake Mil- uh, shake Milton or uh, George's Niang on that weak side wing as just this deadly, like if they, if you help off that guy, it's going in and they're like killing teams in fourth quarters, loading up on those hardened and beat actions by those kickouts to those weak side wing, uh, wing shooters they, they, they have a boatload of talent. I hundred percent. I actually, up until the Phoenix Suns trade, I thought that uh, Maxi Harris and Embiid Harden was the most talented top four in the league. Um, up up until now, you have the Chris Paul Booker uh, Aiton Kevin Durant lineup. Um, but I, I would say it's close between those two between the Bucks and Sixers. To me, with the Bucks, it's pretty simple one of the best point of attack defenders in the league and the best rim protector in the league. So like the, the two of those guys together just kind of foundationally allow them to win a lot of, I think that's why they've been a functional basketball team without Giannis for most of the season. And I have the nuggets third, but you, you said this perfectly and I'm so glad you did because it's so underrated. Yes. There are players that on in their starting lineup that don't necessarily have the same level of recognition around the league but you could not construct a better lineup of players to complement Nikola Jokic. Your power forward, Aaron Gordon, is the type of player that in the vacuum is not super valuable, but what he does as a a forward that can kind of operate as a center in a lot of ways offensively in terms of what he can do in the dunker spot to quick catch and finish around the rim as a lob threat while still being a transition threat and a guy that can occasionally knock down a shot. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, I think is is literally one of the best role player two guards in the league. And I'm still sad that he's not on the Lakers. And he's so perfect. He's so perfect with Jokic because of what he can do in transition. And Jokic is an outlet passer. And I think KCP is one of the best transition guards in the league as m- a movement shooter and a guy that can finish in transition with those long steps that he takes to the basket. Jamal Murray is slumping a little bit right now, but, he is your textbook dribble handoff ball screen guard yes. that perfectly complements Jokic. And Michael Porter Jr. is arguably the most deadly weak side shooter in the league. Last I checked, which was like a yeah. two or three weeks ago, he was averaging one point three points per spot up possession. Yeah. And him and like so, yeah, it's not necessarily in terms of ranking players around the league the most talented core ever, but it is a group of players. That very well complements what Jokic does. And yes, their bench sucks, but so does Phillies. And so, like <laughs> it's it, it, so, you know, it's one of those things where I don't look at I don't really see supporting cast as much of a factor in this equation for either of the yeah. three guys.
2: I agree with you. I will say as well, to bring up your point about the Bucs, I think when with Chris Middleton, the way he's playing, I think over his last 15 games, he's averaged something like 17, 18 points, six assists, five rebounds. I think he's shooting be like 48 37 87 or something like that he's basically back to being pretty close he's been a little bit more of a facilitator than what we've seen from him in, the, him in the past but he's basically back to being pretty close to what we've seen from chris middleton previously and i think that that just elevates the bucks even further uh within this they're terrifying. And cast conversation they're ridiculously good that is the best top four in the league outside of maybe phoenix when we see them more i think Giannis middleton Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, that's the best four in the league, depending on what Phoenix looks like. But Middleton has played, you know, what, 15 games fully healthy this year. So I think hard. Yeah, I I think the
1: Middleton thing has been part of why I haven't considered those four, but that's a really interesting case, especially when you factor in two-way play. Yes. Because Tyrese Maxey and James Harden are not good defensive guards. Chris Paul is not a good defensive guard anymore. He's actually become a target. DeAndre Ayton is one of my least favorite defensive centers in the league. Um, so we're, we're running a little bit out of time. So I want you to I want you to make the case for who you chose for MVP and why. I went with Giannis.
2: And I think that the, I think that as we've gone through this process, right, as we've explained all of the different criteria that I think you've had me answer questions regarding uh, who is the best player, who is the best player on the best team, who is the most valuable player. I, I think across the board, outside of maybe value to team, I think it's Giannis and I know that he his efficiency numbers are not quite as good as what Nikola Jokic's are. And I guess we didn't really have time to have the metrics conversation. But if you look at what he was tasked with doing throughout the year as a shot creator, given the roster that was around him, Brooke Lopez, not really a shot creator, more of a spot-up three-point threat at this point in his career, can offensive rebound, can do some things in the on the block, more of just a spot-up guy at this point. Drew Holiday, inconsistent as a creator for a point guard, I think is reasonable to say there are games where he is hot and he is just very uh, almost impossible to stop when he has the three point shot going.
1: He takes so many tough shots. Why does he take so many difficult shots? I don't understand. Every shot for him is like a drifting fadeaway.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it really is. So Giannis is tasked with a more difficult responsibility. I think within the ecosystem of Milwaukee's, offense throughout a majority of the season. Now that Middleton is back now that Joe Ingalls is actually firing in like a fairly real way, he has really helped their passing, their playmaking, their ball movement across the perimeter. Middleton has also really helped that. And he's also given them a bailout option as a mid range shot creator late in the shot clock, which they really needed. But for a majority of the season, Giannis did not have that, which is why the efficiency numbers are a little bit lower for him than they are for other players in this conversation. I think that when you combine the fact that Giannis is the most dominant player in the league, just in terms of being able to create his own shot, going to the basket and finishing at just such an elite level, he can do it anytime, any point. He's averaging what you mentioned, 31 points per game, something like 12 rebounds and six assists in that ballpark. The numbers are great. On top of it, I do think he is the best defensive player of this trio. Uh, I have Joel Embiid at number two. I think Joel Embiid... And Giannis are very much like almost 1A and 1B for me. I think they're super close. I have Jokic at third at this point. When we did this conversation on my show at midseason, we also did not have Jokic at number one. Uh, We had Kevin Durant at midseason, number one. That's right, we had
1: Kevin Durant. I forgot about that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Kevin Durant was in the midst of leading the Brooklyn Nets to like a 28-12 and record or whatever it was. And was unbelievable in those first games that he played. Was well-deserving. I went with Embiid here. I think the fact that Philly's defense is genuinely terrific this season. He is probably the second most dominant shot creator in the league behind Giannis. And I think you could make a case that he is the most dominant scorer in the league if you really wanted to. The thing with Giannis is, I trust Giannis is a passer decision maker a little bit more. I like Giannis's defense a little bit better. And again, as you said, Milwaukee is the best team in the league when Giannis and Ntetokounmpo plays. That is it. That is it point blank. I went with Giannis as
1: MVP. 75% of their games, man. Uh, so I, it was it was pretty basic for me. Best player in the league, I went Giannis, Embiid, Jokic. Best player on the best team, I went Giannis, Jokic, Embiid. Who is the most valuable to their team? I went Jokic, Embiid, Giannis. And if you kind of break those down, where first place is worth three points, second is worth two, third is worth one. I had seven points for Giannis, Jokic with six, and Embiid with five. And, you know, I try to stick to that criteria as best as I can. And what's funny is I came into this process when I sat down with my coffee this morning. I was like, I expect to pick Embiid. I really did think that. Yeah. He's, no, I've I been so too. high on him. And, and when I break it down based on the rules that I try to go by, I had Giannis one, Jokic two, and Embiid three. So I think our, the one place we agree is, uh, disagree is we flopped Jokic and Embiid, but I think all three are still incredibly close. Yeah. And, and, it, and it is, it has been a, a highly entertaining race. So we do have to go. Here's the thing, Sam, I really want to get into this advanced metrics conversation with you. The problem is, is I know us and we'll spend 20 minutes on it. So what we need to do is we need to, we'll, we'll, we'll either, we'll either do it at a later date this season or we'll hit it this off season. Cause it's definitely something that I want to uh, uh, spend some time talking about, but Sam, I, I have so much fun talking basketball with you. I'm so thankful that you took the time uh, to come on the show today. And I look forward to talking with you again soon.
2: Anytime you are one of the people that pushes me to be better at this without detail oriented <laughs> you are. And I am always happy to talk basketball with you. This has been terrific. Anytime I'm more than happy to come on.
1: Do you need to plug anything?
2: Uh, game Theory Podcast. go listen to the podcast that I have. Jason was on a week ago. We talked about rising stars across the NBA guys that we think are going to be all stars, uh, go to the athletic as well. Uh, Yeah, just go subscribe to that. You'll be able to find my work.
0: The volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, And the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions.